Well, this morning we work our way on through Hebrews. So to, to set up a little bit of where we're going with today in Hebrews, uh, I will tell you my, my dad is retired now. He doesn't work anymore. But back when he worked his job, uh, he was a medical technologist and he worked in a laboratory. I cannot tell you what he did there every day. I don't understand how that works. All I know is, yep, he went to work and he worked in a lab and he came home and he was a medical technologist. But don't ask me to explain the details. Somewhat similarly, my, my son Andrew um, is studying to be an electrical engineer. I ask him, yeah, tell me about that. How does that go? And he explains math classes with math that I will tell you is so far past my level of understanding, I can't even begin to fathom what that's about. I know that he's looking at being an electrical engineer, but that doesn't mean I have a clue what he actually does or is learning to do. So we've been going through Hebrews, and we've been following all the ways that that connects to Jesus from the Old Testament. And one of the themes that have come through that over and over again is this theme of the priest, that Jesus is the high priest. And we've been saying that over and over again, but there's a piece here where I think we've maybe lost touch with knowing exactly what the priest does. So even though we've been talking about Jesus as the high priest and Jesus fills this priestly role, do we know what that role is? I mean, in the Old Testament, do we know what those priests actually do? Today we're going to look at a passage that comes out of Hebrews that gives a little bit of background towards that, okay? So this is coming from Hebrews chapter 9, beginning at verse 11, talking about Jesus, but giving that in language of what the priest does, right? Hebrews 9, beginning at verse 11. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more, then, will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the, eternal, the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set, us, to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, priests and where that goes. You know what, let me give a little frame of where we've been at with Hebrews here, okay? We've, we've talked about all these ways that Hebrews shows Jesus to us, right? We've talked about parts of Hebrews where Jesus shows up as fully human, where it describes Jesus as fully divine, and then when it describes Jesus as our priestly mediator. And we talked about that in particular last week with that guy Melchizedek, that what Jesus does as a priest 
has lasting effect as opposed to those Old Testament priests who keep doing the same things over and over again. Well, that's where we're focusing today. We're going to talk a little bit about what it was those priests in the Old Testament would do over and over again and how Jesus fulfills that, okay? So, it has to do with some of the things that came up in this passage. Mention of things like tabernacle, most holy place, or maybe you have a translation of the Bible that calls it the holy of holies. And then sacrifices and blood. A lot of blood shows up in the tabernacle and with priests. Being a priest in the Old Testament was messy work. I don't know if we fully understand that, the way it works. Here, I'm going to put up a picture of the tabernacle so you can see what it looks like. This was that tent that they took around with them through the wilderness. It was set up in the middle of their camp, and they would set all the camp around it, and God's presence was in the center of the camp in this tabernacle. The way it was set up is, I mean, it, it's got a, a fence or a curtain that goes all the way around a courtyard, and then there's a tent in the middle of it, a tent that has two rooms, a room called the holy place, and then a room in the back called the most holy place, or the holy of holies. What the priests would do is spend a good part of their time then bringing animals into that courtyard area behind that curtain, right? <clears throat> and they would sacrifice them. You see that there are tables that are set up all along the way in this courtyard, places where they're all around the edges there, right? These are tables where they would slaughter animals. There was blood everywhere in the tabernacle. It was a messy place. We don't do things like that anymore. But thank goodness, because I don't know if I could handle all that blood around in here. I don't know if you would want to walk into a church where it was just bloody everywhere. We've lost sight of that, right? That in the Old Testament, the tabernacle was filled with blood. So that, that tent that uh, is in the back there, there's a couple of rooms in there, that outer room, which was the holy place. It had a table where they burned some incense so that there would be good-smelling incense there. There was a table that had uh, like a piece of bread on it, the showbread, and there was a golden lampstand. And then there was the back room, the most holy place, the holy of holies. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was, right? That, that chest, that box that held the Ten Commandments, and it had the staff of Aaron that was budding, and it had a jar filled with the manna from the wilderness. That was in the holy of holies, the most holy place. That was the place, they said, where the presence of God would dwell. And no one could go there. No one could be in the presence of God there. Well, there was one exception to that. One person could go there, the high priest. And the high priest would go into that room once a year, and only once a year. It was such a dangerous thing to be in the presence of God there that tradition holds this. Jewish tradition says that when the high priest would go into this room, that they would, uh, they would strap a bell around one ankle, and that they would have a, a cord or a rope around the other that would lead out of the room. As long as the priest was in there doing the work, that bell would be ringing as he would move around, right? If the bell stopped ringing, 
That means the priest did something wrong and God struck him dead. We can't go in to get him out, pull the cord. That's how serious they took being in the presence of God. But listen to what he did when he went in there, okay? Maybe we don't have full understanding of that. All right, I'm going to read a section that comes from Leviticus. This is Leviticus chapter 16. This talks about a section that they call the Day of Atonement. That was the one day a year when the high priest went in there, okay? So Leviticus, Leviticus 16 says this. This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. He must first bring a young bull for the sin offering and a ram for the burnt offering. He's to put it on the sacred, put on the sacred linen tunic, the linen undergarment next to his body, tie the linen sash around him, and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments. So he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. From the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. I'm going to skip ahead to verse 11 in that chapter. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. He is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. Then he's to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord, that would be out in the courtyard, and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense. Take them behind the curtain, and he's to put incense on the fire before the Lord. And the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the tablets of the covenant of the law. That's talking about the cover that's on the Ark of the Covenant. He is to put the incense on the fire, and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover before the, before the um, covenant of the law, so that he will not die. He is to take some of the bull's blood, and with his finger, sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover. Then he shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. Then he shall slaughter the goat for the sin offering and for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. That's a lot of blood. A lot of animals that had to be killed and their blood is brought in. Maybe that, all right, maybe that just seems kind of gross, right? That's just another time when people were a little more uncivilized or barbaric, right? Those kind of rituals with sacrifice and slaughter and blood. That was a different time, a different people, but why did they do that? Why was that so important for that to be a part of them? Well, a little bit later, in the next chapter, in Leviticus 17, we read this where it talks about why that's important. For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. 
everything about what happened in that tabernacle was about blood for atonement. I don't know that we really center on that anymore the way they did in the Old Testament. That everything about what they did and their faith centered on atonement. I mean, we come to church on Sundays now, right? And, and maybe we come to church for different reasons. We come to church because, hey, you know what? I've got friends there, and I see friends. And we come to church because we worship God there, and we sing songs that bring joy into our hearts. We come to church because we hear the Word of God revealed, so we learn something more about who God is in our lives and for us. Right? We come to church to be comforted, when we're struggling, we come to church to be energized and encouraged. We come to church for so many different reasons, but I don't know that it's really on our list anymore to say that we come to church for atonement. Oh, we catch some glimpses, right? I mean, we, we have occasionally in our liturgy, we talk about confession of sin and assurance of grace. We celebrate communion and when we do that, it's a remembering of Jesus shedding his own blood to make atonement. But those are all things that we do as pointing back to what Jesus has already done. You see, for the people of Israel, their entire faith, everything about what it meant for them to be people of God, rested on this one activity that they had to do over and over and over again. Atonement! Everything about what they did to come together in the presence of God had to be about atonement. That they were sinful people, broken people. God is perfect. God is holy. And you could not be in the presence of God without atonement. So over and over again, that's what the priests would do. Over and over again, that's what their faith in God was about. Being God's people by making atonement. Well, Jesus fulfills that in the New Testament, right? He makes atonement for us. And because of that, there's a result. The result that now, right, Jesus has become the center of our faith. That we don't come into this place week after week anymore making atonement over and over again, but we come into this place now recognizing that atonement has already been made and it is all centered upon Jesus. There's a connection to be made here. A connection between what those priests did in the Old Testament and what Jesus has done for us in the New Testament. That Jesus fulfills all of these pieces of what the priest would do and who he was and what he did and the sacrifice that he gave. That Jesus himself has become the tabernacle. The tabernacle, right? The tabernacle was that thing that represented the very presence of God among the people. It was a representation of that. 
And the tabernacle moved with them throughout the wilderness. And when they came into the land of Canaan, Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem and they brought the Ark of the Covenant into the temple. But the temple was laid out with the same floor plan as the tabernacle. It had the holy place and the most holy place. And the same rituals would happen in that temple. The high priest would go in there one day a year on the Day of Atonement. Those things all represented to them the presence of God among them. Jesus came as the presence of God among his people. When John, the Apostle John, writes his gospel, he says it in that language. The word became flesh and dwelled among us. The, the, the Greek word for dwelling there is, is associated with the same root as the word for tent or tabernacle. That Jesus, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. That Jesus himself becomes the presence of God, the tabernacle among us. And Jesus himself becomes the high priest, the one who makes atonement. That it was the high priest, remember it's the priest who represents the people before God. The priest who comes before God on behalf of the people. Jesus fills that role, interceding for the people he loves, becoming the high priest who provides the atonement for sin on our behalf. The priest would do that work. Even though the Day of Atonement was one time a year, all throughout the year there would be sacrifices that would take place, and those priests would do that work to make atonement for the people. Jesus is the priest who makes atonement for his people by the shedding of blood. And Jesus himself became the atonement. Those priests of the Old Testament, right, they would bring animals, goats and bulls and sheep and whatever they had there to slaughter those animals. And it would be the blood of those animals that would serve as the atonement for the people. They had to keep doing that over and over again. Jesus, though, Jesus sheds his own blood. He gives his own life with his own blood to be the atonement. He becomes the tabernacle. He becomes the high priest. And he becomes the atonement, that Jesus does this for eternal redemption from sin. All of this comes together in one place. It's the cross, right? The cross is where all of this is leading. That it is at the cross where Jesus reveals himself to be truly God. It is at the cross where Jesus makes atonement for the sins of all the people. And it is at the cross where Jesus sheds his blood for that atonement. The cross then becomes the center point of where our faith in Jesus is focused. We cannot talk about what it means to have faith in Jesus without acknowledging the cross. 
because the cross means everything for that. But where do we go from there? Right? Uh, so, all right, so we made these connections that the author of Hebrews makes about the way that Jesus has become the presence of God, the tabernacle among us, the way that Jesus is the high priest, the way that Jesus is the atonement. You know, I imagine that for those, those first generations of Jewish Christians, they had to figure out what it meant to come before God because think about it. Everything about their religious activity centered on having to make atonement over and over again. And now that we don't need to do that over and over again, then what do we come before God and bring and do? What does that mean? Well, there's, there's a nod towards that in this passage. right? Even though these few verses in Hebrews that we read, they talk about all the things that Jesus did and all the things that Jesus does as the high priest, there is one response. It came in verse 14. One response that it says, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death? Then, this next part, so that we may serve the living God. That's new. That's new for the life of God's people. That you know what? Coming before God now is not about having to do this over and over again atonement for our sin, but now coming to God is a freedom to serve the living God. That we have freedom in Christ to come before God and serve, knowing that we have already been made right with him that he has already done everything that was needed for us to be counted as his eternal family, that we come before God now and have freedom to serve him. And in freedom with that, it takes so many different forms, right? And, And it's represented even right here in this room, the freedom that we have to serve God, because we all have ways we can do that. For some of us in this room, the freedom that we have to serve God now is is a freedom of prayer. That you are in a place in your life where you've got the time and the discipline and the ability to come before God on your knees in prayer and lift up the needs of others. And so those prayer warriors among us who do that, that is your service to God, right? There are others here among us who see some of the needs that take place in our community around us and have the abilities to make those connections and serve those people. It's our service to God that we do that. There are some some among us here who have resources that we can give because we've been generously blessed. And we do that in service to God as we serve him. There are some among us here who are really good at relationship connection, right? making phone calls or going on visits or just having a cup of coffee with someone to encourage their day. All of that in service to God. Everyone here has something that as long as God gives you another day to be here, that you can serve God in some way through that day, through the life that you have, that we have been set free 
through the cross of Jesus to be those people, holy, redeemed, righteous before God. So make the most of that. Make the most of each new day, knowing that it's not a day that you have to start proving yourself to God over and over again. That atonement is done. It's a day when you can wake up assured Christ has done everything for me to be one of his people. And now I get to live for him and his service. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the gift of your word and the way that you reveal yourself to us. Lord, we are, we are reminded again of maybe all those ways that we are still trying to make atonement on our own, trying to prove ourselves worthy. Lord, help us to remember again that you have done everything that is necessary. Point us towards the cross that we may be reminded at the center of our faith everything about who we are rests upon Jesus and what Jesus has done for us. And as we sing the words of this next song, Lord, may these be words that also echo everything that you have done for us as Jesus, our Savior, our Messiah.